Um, as we look at this idea of you're not in control, one of the realities of our human experience is that we aren't in control. Um, and I don't know about you, but I just think that's a bummer. I, I tend to find myself trying to exert control in some form or fashion in my life. I would like to be in charge a little bit more. Now, there's some times where I'm kind of sneaky about this, and uh, you know, you wouldn't know about it. It wouldn't be obvious that I'm trying to to kind of run things. And then sometimes I'm just flat out blatant about it. And uh, but the reality is, we we have to come to terms with this. We have to face the fact that. I don't know about you, but I tend to want to direct my future. I want to kind of be in charge of it, and I wouldn't be, um, I, I wouldn't be untruthful to say that I'd like to be in charge of some of your futures um, <laughs> and control you just a little bit. My will be done. Isn't that something that we kind of fight against and struggle with a bit? Now, if you can relate to that, if I'm not the only one on the planet that experiences that, then... Uh, um, we can all take heart that this is something that we got honestly. This actually is something that was the problem back in the garden with the first humans. There is no way that the serpent could have convinced Adam and Eve that there was no God. You know, this, this mantra of Nietzsche's, my, you know, that God is dead, it just wouldn't have flown for them. They would have just said, well, I just talked to him a couple of minutes ago. What are you talking about? But the soft spot was this, that you can actually be in charge. You don't have to depend on God any longer. If you'll eat this fruit from this tree, then you can be in control. You can be like God. You can do it your way. Have it your way. Um, You can do it that way. And that's what sunk in. And certainly we know the story that the first humans the forbidden fruit. But before we throw stones at them, I would suggest that pretty much every day we all bite the fruit. We all say, I want to be in charge. Now, we say things to the contrary. We, we sing songs. We, we pray things. We say things that say, I depend on you, God. I trust you. And yet, if you really look at most of our lives, we kind of pull back control ourselves and we kind of start running this deal ourselves. Therefore, we live in this fallen world. We live in a world where difficult things are going to happen. We're going to have losses and trials and struggles that we're going to face, and that we are always going to be dependent creatures. I'm suggesting today that during this Lent experience, that it is best for us. It is the way to peace, the way to joy, the way to abundant living is to come to terms with this, to come to terms with the fact that I'm not in charge, I'm not in control, that I am dependent uh, on him, that that we have a really good God that cares for us, that we can trust being dependent on. Uh, Even God, however, has chosen not to control everything. He has chosen to hold back some of his power. Now, he certainly could have, have controlled everything that ever happened. He could have pre-wired it so that we all do a certain thing, that we all um, respond a certain way, and we would be little robots. He could have designed it that way. But he chose that 
believed that the highest form of human experience was when we have choice, when we get to decide to follow him or not follow him. The highest form of love is when we get to choose love and aren't just pre-wired for it. And so the result is that we are going to experience brokenness, that we are going to live in a world that's groaning. We're going to see natural disasters that are going to happen. We are going to see things where some of his creation choose badly. We're going to see places where some of his creation hurts some of his other creation, that that's the world that we live in. Now, we all know that if we choose badly, and all of us have, right? We've chosen badly at times. We know that there can be some negative consequences to that, right? That we will have to face some stuff, that we can heap some difficulties on our life by choosing badly. But there's going to be things that happen to you, difficult things, hurtful things, frustrating things that you had nothing to do with. It had nothing to do with what you did or didn't do. It had nothing to do with what God chose to do. And that's where we find ourselves. That's part of our humanness, part of our human brokenness. John 16 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But then he goes on to say, but take heart, depend on me, trust in me, for I have overcome the world. Does that mean that he's going to make sure that nothing ever bad happens again? I don't think so, uh, but that means that he's overcome it somehow. In this brokenness that we live in, one of the things that we're going to face consistently is loss. We are going to find ourselves experiencing loss of some form. I don't know what you thought about when you saw the video. I don't know what came to your mind as far as a possible loss in your life. Some of you, it might be that you related to some of theirs. Maybe some have had a loved one that's died or somebody was diagnosed with a disease. Or for some of you, it might be that your child is sick. For some of you, it might be that you lost your job last year and you've never been able to find the kind of job you're looking for and you're struggling with financial security issues. For some of you, it's um, a relationship that's gone bad or some your partner made a bad choice and it's, just really wounded you. For some of us, it's getting older. For some of us, we've been dealing with loss for a long time. About 30 years I've been dealing with loss. Um, it comes in all kinds of forms and fashions. In dealing with this, um, in recognizing that loss is a reality, I believe that the best place for us, the, again, the best place for peace is that, um, that we are able to settle into this. God did not set this up to harm us or to destroy us, but he allowed losses. He allowed this idea of choice, and he allowed this so that, so that we might mature, that we might strengthen, we might deepen, we might grow in our faith, um, that something in us is transformed. Again, I don't know what you thought about when you thought about uh, uh, when you saw the video a minute ago. Janice and I, early in our marriage, um, we waited about four or five years before we started um, having kids. We were working on graduate degrees, and then it came to time where it was like, okay, I think we're ready. 
And immediately, right after the bat, we had a, we had a miscarriage and questioned that. And what was that about? And for any of you that have had miscarriages, you know that people don't know how to deal with that very well, do they? Um, people say some really stupid things to people. Um, they say things like, oh, you can have another one. It's kind of like, well, you lost a pair of shoes, but you can go get another pair of shoes. Um, don't, people don't really know what to do and can be very hurtful. So we had some of those messages and were struggling. And then God graced us with our first, with, with Preston. And, and we were rejoicing in that. We were excited to be able to have a child. And, and um, we were tired and having a child and stretched and challenged. And, but it was a very good thing. And then we were ready to, to have more. And to make a long story short, we went through multiple miscarriages over and over again. And just like, what's the deal? Why, why is this happening? We are, is there something wrong? Are we doing something wrong? And again, people say all kinds of things about that. One of the real challenges that made this even more difficult for us is the ministry that we were involved in at the time. Uh, one of our areas of responsibility is we had a real significant outreach to women in crisis pregnancy. We had a crisis pregnancy center, a hotline where people could call and young women could call and we'd help them in that journey. And we actually had a maternity home that we built and would house 12 women. These 13 and 14 and 15-year-olds were getting kicked out of their houses because their parents wanted them to get an abortion and they didn't want to. And so parents would kick them out of their houses and we brought them from all over the country in and... and uh, then we had an adoption agency would help take that, um, um, help, help them, those that wanted to place their babies and place them with couples all over the country. And here we were, responsible for this area of ministry. The last thing these girls wanted to be was pregnant at 14 and 15. And it just seemed like all they had to do was drink the water. It was a little more involved in that. But, um, <laughs> but it you know, certainly was the last thing that they wanted. And yet we were going, is there something wrong with us? Why, why, why can't we have a baby? And it just happened over and over again. Now, one of the things that we learned in that is God in his grace was kind of wrestling out of our arms this sense of control. We kind of thought, I don't think we ever consciously said these words, but we kind of thought that if we lived right, we're serving God, we're in the ministry, we're good people, we love our baby, when we make good parents, if we do all the right stuff, then good stuff will happen, right? Isn't that the formula that's laid out there? Is if you do all of these right things, then good will always happen. Wasn't, wasn't happening. And we came to terms with that. We had to settle into this reality that there were going to be difficult things happen that were not going to make sense to us, that we were not going to be able to, to figure out. But, we, but something transformed in us something matured in us. We were able to rest a bit more in depending on him. I would not say that we totally got there. It's been a journey. We're still working on that, of course, in our life. But something happened. You know, we learned a lot of things through that. Uh, we certainly learned to value the baby that we had. God ultimately graced us with three more. We had no idea we'd ever have more children. And, and every one of those, I tell you what, we valued so much. We did not take for granted that this is just how it works, that it was very, very precious. There's a lot of things that took place in our life. With this inevitability of loss, I believe to be healthy as a human, that we have to become professional grievers. 
But we just need to learn how to do this well because this is going to be part of our humanity. Again, God did not design this to harm us or to hurt us, but ultimately for us to grow and, and mature in him. But if we don't know how to manage it well, if we don't know how to process this well, we're going to be in trouble. There's a lot of people in our culture that are stuck in one of the stages of grief, dealing with losses. They don't know how to manage it well. They've been taught inappropriate things when it comes to grief and loss, and so they've gotten stuck. And so how do we settle into this? How do we learn how to go in this flow of loss and learn how to be whole and be healthy and be vital and, and, and be strengthened in our journey with him? Now, there are several models when it comes to looking at grief. There are several of those out there. And I want to talk just for the next few minutes about what we have experienced in 30 years of working with people that have dealt with all kinds of losses, every imaginable loss that you can think of. We've run across um, those folks. And what we have seen is a healthy pattern, a healthy flow of finding life in the midst of this uh, broken world. So there's, I'm going to lay these out kind of in, in stages. Everybody grieves differently, so everybody's experience is going to be a little different. Uh, I'm going to even lay these out in order, but realize that these don't go in order. You're going to go all around. You're going to jump up and down and back and forth. Uh, but the first one we would describe is what we call shock and denial. Now, shock and denial, how many of you have seen a car accident victim sitting on the side of the road and they're just staring into space? It's like they've been overwhelmed with outside stimuli. You can kind of do this in front of their face and they, they aren't even aware that they're there. That's what shock does. It's where we've had too much outside stimuli that's hit us. And God, in his grace, kind of shuts us down to be able to manage that. It's when you get the phone call and you've heard that the grandma passed or you get that you have the meeting with the boss and, and we're informed about the layoff. And whatever the loss, you heard about the car accident and we go through, we go through shock. It's part of our uh, experience. Fortunately, shock doesn't last too long. We usually kind of work our way out of that. But another piece of this is, is denial. People tend to fight grief, particularly people of faith. We don't want to face it. We think that, kind of even been told the message that if you really have strong faith, then you shouldn't be sad. You shouldn't go through difficulties. You should be okay because your faith is so strong. And so we deny that. It's very harmful. Actually, people that encourage people to do that, I want to strangle. I have to deal with my own grief and loss issues there, okay? And because uh, I think it's harmful. There's, there's something about genuinely, honestly being able to deal with our real experience that is the way God designed us to heal. Now, there's a flip side of that, too, where people can be so much focused on it, that's all they think about. That's all they talk about. It's good that you have a job. It's good that you're distracted. It's good that you busy yourself with other things. We don't want you thinking about this 24-7. It'll, it'll overwhelm you. But there's a healthy balance there of being able to genuinely recognize that I've experienced a loss and I'm going to go through a healing process here. And it is a process. It's not an instant recovery. It's a process. The second stage is anger. Now, when I talk to people of faith about anger, we kind of... Ugh, what, what would I do with that? I, that don't, most times when we get angry, we feel bad. I shouldn't be angry. This is a bad thing. I, 
I, I, I don't like this person anymore or I'm mad at this or I'm mad at God even and, and how could I possibly think those kinds of thoughts? Anger is a normal part of hurt and loss. It's a part of our human experience. Scripture in Psalm 4, it says, In your anger, do not sin. It is not wrong to be angry. Now, we're responsible for what we do with that anger and how we process that anger. We should not cuss people out on the phone. That would be the sin part, okay? We shouldn't, give them the, we shouldn't salute them when they pull in front of us when we're driving, okay? Uh, we shouldn't send pipe bombs through the mail, okay? All that would be sin, all right? We're pretty clear on that. But what do we do with it then? We have to be able to deal with our anger in a healthy way. And it's something that we process. There are two keys to dealing with anger. I call it the two V words. The first one is validation. We humans are designed that it's really important for us to have a person or two, not 20, not 50, but a person or two, be able to validate, be able to acknowledge the pain that we're experiencing, to be able to hear it and understand it and not not reject us or not freak out if we're all angry at somebody or something, not try to fix us immediately, but to just understand and go, I get why you'd be angry. That makes sense to me. I would be too. I, I understand that. We need that in our life um, to really be able to heal properly. And so not only am I telling you this on how you deal with, with grief in your own life, but we need to be helpers with each other. We need to be that safe person that people can throw up on, so to speak, and express their anger and that we can sit there with them and stand there with them and not freak out over it. The second one is ventilation. We have to do something with it. So many times I think even people of faith in, in, in our even thinking that this is the right thing to do, we repress our anger and we just don't speak of it because we think it's bad. But there are very important ways to be able to ventilate this. One of those, and I've alluded to that with validation, is safe people. You need a safe person in your life, not 50, one or two, that you can go to and you can communicate with, again, that is confidential, that is not going to spread it around to others. They're not, they're not trying to be your counselor, your healer, your fixer. They're not trying to make it all better. Uh, they're not trying to direct you to tell you to quit, to quit doing that and this is what you need. You've got to forgive and get over this. But they just listen. They hear it, and they're safe. The second one of those is God. Do you know that God can handle your anger? That he doesn't get frustrated with you? He doesn't get angry at you? He doesn't get disappointed in you when you're angry? Matter of fact, he kind of expects that you're going to feel that feeling. And it is actually healing for you to communicate that clearly to him. David is one of the best examples. I have a lot of folks that push back on this one. It's like, gosh, I just can't be angry, particularly I can't talk to God about it or certainly can't be angry at him. How could I possibly be angry at him? He understands why you'd be angry at him at times. He understands why we're confused about stuff that happens. If you look in the Scriptures, if you go in the Psalms, I tell people, go and read the Psalms. And when people are struggling with us, I say, now I want you to skip all the nice sweet ones, okay? All the ones that we usually read for comfort, skip all those. I want you to go to the ones where David is cranky and he is mad and he is, God, why are you doing this? My enemies are overtaken. God, go kill these people. Now, that's a little bit of Brent Sharp 
paraphrase, but it's pretty close to what David is saying. Now, there is not an ounce of pretension in David. He was honest and genuine. Yes, he messed up. Yes, he failed. But he knew what it was like to go back to God and depend on God. And he would go to God and he would communicate honestly with him. And you will see a transformation in those psalms uh, from the beginning of a chapter to the end of the chapter. There's a bunch of these, but let's look at... First one is, uh, or just an example, Psalm 13. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will... um, You hide your face from me. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Now, David was just venting to God. And there's something about that process that you see begin to change David. If you look at the end of the chapters, and this is a great example, by the end of that, in the last few verses, it says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. You see a change of attitude from going one direction and something self. Now, he didn't figure out everything. He doesn't understand how it all works and why this happened, but there was a settling in his spirit. There was more of a, You're bigger than I am, God. Your ways are higher than my ways. I trust you in that. I I believe that you're good. Even though bad things are happening, I believe that you are good. Now, the other thing that David did is that he wrote about this stuff. He wrote this out. Now, David was not signed up with the American Bible Society to write the Psalms, okay? He was living a healthy life. This was something that was therapeutic in his life. It was something that was healing in his life. And so he wrote this stuff out. I have found that helpful. I would encourage you, if you're dealing with anger, I would encourage you to do some writing. Now, this is not to be done in your leather-bound journal that you're keeping for a keepsake, okay? This is a, where you tear a page out of a steno pad, and, you, and particularly if somebody has hurt you or an organization has hurt you or somebody has let you down, that you put their name at the top of it and you let them have it. Pastors telling us to yell at people on paper? Now, you don't email this to them, okay? You don't send this in a letter to them. This is between you and God. There is something that happens in that process. I can't explain it all. Matter of fact, I encourage you to write it out rather than type it out. Something that happens in that process. Now, this is a gross example, okay? But do you know when, what it feels like when you have the flu? You kind of get that build up. And then you throw up, sorry, um, and you feel better, don't you? There's th- that's what this is. There's a release that happens in this process. There's something that happens when we're able to get it out and feel like that God hears our heart in that. Now, the ultimate resolve to anger, particularly if somebody has offended you, is forgiveness, is that we have to be able to release this offense. We have to be able to recognize that hurt people hurt people and be able to see them a different way. And we're not going to go into all that today. We could take a whole morning on forgiveness and what forgiveness looks like. And forgiveness is a process also. Did you know that forgiveness is not just like a flipping a light switch? It's not like just going, okay, I forgive them. 
It's a process that happens. It's a determination on our heart that happens over and over again. What tends to happen is people tend to jump from this process of dealing with God and wrestling with its feelings. They tend to skip over that, and they jump to, well, I guess I need to forgive them. And then they get all bottled up in that because I I may pray the prayer and say, Lord, forgive them, but then five minutes later, I'm just as mad as I was before. And so maybe I'm not doing this right, or there's something wrong with me, and they end up almost in a worse place. Forgiveness is something that we do little by little. We'll talk more about that. But, but the thing I want you to focus on is, are you taking this to God? Are you taking this to a safe person, which I believe is God with skin on him? Um, are you taking that and ventilating these feelings in a healthy, safe place? The third one is depression. Now, again, these don't go in order. You're going to go back and forth and jump in and out of these. Um, but the third one is depression. That's the normal down kind of blues just hard to get motivated. You feel like you're walking in quicksand. I'm just sad. I'm just sad that this has happened. It is a normal part of our human experience. There's no way that you cannot feel down or sad about some of these things. Depression, the way depression works, is it has what we call a corkscrew effect. Have you ever turned a corkscrew in a cork? As you turn it, it just gets slowly deeper in that cork. And that's the way depression works. If I'm having a bad day today, not only am I kind of discouraged today, but I'm also not planning on anything for tomorrow to be encouraged about tomorrow. And so tomorrow I'm susceptible to be a little bit more down and the next day a little bit more down and the next day a little bit more down. And so little by little, we can slowly spiral down. It's a normal part of how depression works. It's kind of a lid that kind of comes down in our life. What we have to do is we have to slowly begin to push back at that. And there's an important understanding that we have to have to really break out of this. Now, I'm going to give you an analogy, a little experiment that was done many years ago. Now, this this may sound odd because this experiment was done with chickens. Now, I know that we live on a little higher plane than chickens, okay? Um, But there's something about how this experiment played out that gives us some real interesting information about how we humans process depression. They took a a chicken, and they took its head and neck. Now, the neck of a chicken is pretty flexible, um, and it didn't really hurt the chicken, but they would take its head and neck and kind of strap it down to its body. And actually, they put a little leather apparatus around the chickens, so it's kind of like over like this, okay? And uh, now, the chicken wasn't extremely fond of this, and uh, so they would they kind of let it go in this big cage, and the chicken went crazy. Chicken started scratching and clawing and biting and trying to break out of this. And it tried over and over and over again. But eventually, it just stopped trying as much. And over time, it just slowly, completely stopped. And it just sat there in the middle of the cage. It basically had learned that I'm helpless. I can't change my situation. It was so convinced of that that they took the little leather thing off. And guess what happened? Chicken stayed there. Now, it was physically capable of raising its head up. But it had learned that my head's too heavy. I can't raise my head up. And they even took the head and neck and held it up in place and let go. Guess what happened? Flopped back down again. It was too much. It was too fast. Have you ever had anybody, when you're going through a difficult time, just come to you and say, but the joy of the Lord is your strength, and you need to feel this way, and you need to be that way. And they're expecting that now you're fine? That's like somebody trying to take your head and neck and hold it up and say, you should be fine now. You're a person of faith. Let's stand on this. It's not the way we heal. Now, 
in case you're sad for the chicken, if, in case you're a chicken person, um, there, the chicken did come out of this, okay? And um, the way the chicken came out of this is that little by little, they would take the head and neck and they would hold it up in place and support it there for a few minutes. And little by little, the chicken's neck kind of engaged. Now, we don't know what the chicken was thinking, okay? But evidently, it was, oh, I guess I can hold my head up that far. And they held it up another half an inch and supported it there. Held it up another half an inch and supported it there. Little by little, the chicken got back to where it was a normal chicken and acting like doing chicken things. And, um, and that's what we see. That that's how we humans heal. It's a little by little process. That's why the disciplines of our faith are so important. The things that we're kind of making room for God right now in this season of Lent, where we're, we're taking time to establish new disciplines in our faith. That's why these are so important, is because we do these things even if we don't feel like it. That's how we walk through the discouragement in our life, is we do things even if it doesn't feel like it. So we do the disciplines of our faith. We also encourage people to develop lifestyle habits of things that, gosh, when I do this, I really like it. I really enjoy that. A lot of people have gotten so busy as grown-ups that they just, it's all work and no play, and they don't stop and, and really take care of themselves. And, and so between those kinds of things where we begin to implement those, we do things, even if we don't feel like it, that helps us kind of push that lid back up of that discouragement that, that can come down. And it's the consistency of those things over time that keeps us moving, that keeps us healing. The next stage is mourning. And this one is where we just feel the emotion of it. Really, is usually expressed in tears. I encourage you to cry when you need to cry. There's something therapeutic about it. Now, we got, guys have a much harder time with this. We have a social stigma uh, even the way our brains are wired, we don't cry as easily. And then if we do start tearing up, we go, quit it, stop it, be a man. Um, and I'm suggesting you let yourself cry. Scripture says Jesus wept. There's something that healed in him. Something happened in him, how Jesus healed. There's something formative that happened. There's, there's a, something that took place in him. And so it may hit you at the most inopportune times. You're in a business meeting, and all of a sudden somebody mentions something about something, and it hits you. It's okay to slip out and go to the restroom and just let that happen. Now, the way these stages work is that every time you experience one of them, and remember, we go in and out around these. Everybody's going to experience grief a little differently. But anytime you experience one of these, if you go to God with it, if you take some of these steps that we've talked about, the next time you experience that, if you experience anger and you learn how to take that to a safe person or take that to God, the next time you experience anger, it'll be a little bit less intense. If you go through a, f a phase of depression, but you keep moving and you keep those disciplines um, going and you go to God with that, the next time you experience depression, it'll be a little bit less intense. And little by little, those stages will start spreading out. And eventually, you'll start experiencing acceptance, which is the last stage which is, yes, we live in a fallen world. I am not in control, and I don't like it, but it's okay. I trust God. I trust he knows what he's doing. He's a good God, and he has what it takes to walk me through this. Now, don't be surprised if you start feeling some acceptance that 
Um, for a week, the Monday morning, you wake up and you're spitting mad again. It's okay. You process that in a healthy way. Um, it'll happen less often. You begin to experience more acceptance. You may then pop into a time where you're down or discouraged or you find yourself crying and you're going, where is this coming from? It's okay. It's a process of healing and recovery that takes place. But eventually, you'll begin to live your life in that place that Romans 8 talks about, that God turns all things together for good. Regardless of what takes place, we live in this world. We recognize that we um, have limitations. We are not in control. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen that you're not responsible for, and God's not mad at you. Um, things are going to happen in this world, but we're okay to settle into that. We're okay to accept that place and trust him and know that ultimately um, he works those things out. And sometimes we have grief on top of grief. Sometimes you're in the process of walking something out and you have something else that happens to you. Um, And so that's why I say we have to be professional grievers. We have to just get used to journeying in this. Uh, Pastor Ed last week talked about that we need to have our, our... uh, repentance meter going constantly, that we need to stay in a, an attitude and a heart of repentance. And I'm suggesting that's the same kind of thing with, with grief, is that we have to learn how to settle into this and learn how to find peace and strength and joy and vitality in the midst of being a dependent creature, um, um, honoring and serving a good and loving God that knows how to draw us closer to his heart as we walk these things out. Now, this morning, you should have come in and seen on your seat a little brown piece of paper, a little brown card there. This is similar to what you saw in the video there. Um, They were writing on cardboard. and So I want you to envision your piece of cardboard this morning. It says, what is the most difficult loss you're dealing with at the moment? If we pass the microphone around, we would hear a variety of things. And that's why it's so important that we're sensitive to each other. Matter of fact, every one of you has something. While you're watching the video, something popped in your mind, something that you're experiencing loss in. It's not going to take very long for you to identify that. I'm going to encourage you to take a minute. should be pins in the back of the seat in front of you. Just take a minute and write out what that loss is. Matter of fact, I, I had something that just immediately popped in my mind when I actually have about two or three of them, but... Um, that popped in my mind when I was watching the video. And so as I write that out, um, the, um, I encourage you to do the same. And in a minute, we're going to just have a moment to, to kind of pray into this. I'm going to ask Pastor Ed to come, and he's going to pray over each of our experiences here. But I want you to know that God gets what you're going through. He is not surprised by this. He's not worried about it. He knows that this is part of our humanity, and, it's, and there is a good place. There's a place in him that we can find if we trust him in this. In a minute, we're going to have you stand, and I'm just going to have you take your hands and put it around this card. And I want you to envision that God's got his hands wrapped around yours. He feels what you feel. He knows what you're going through. He knows the limits that we have as humans. That's why I say that he's not surprised when we get angry. He's not surprised when we get depressed. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows the beginning and the end of all things. And all of us in this room can see about 50 feet. If 
you're sitting at one end, maybe you can see 80 feet. We can't even see outside. We don't know what's going on on Main Street out there. We don't know what's going to happen this afternoon at our house. We don't know. He gets that. He's not surprised that we freak out. He's not surprised that we get angry and frustrated, that we get confused, that we don't, we don't know how to put all the pieces together. We try to figure out how life works. And we, the older I get, the more I don't know how it works. You know, I have some things I can settle into and have peace with, and then some things I go, it's still a mystery. I don't know how that, how that works. He gets that. And so he knows your experience. The key is let healing happen. Healing has to be genuine. It has to be real. It has to be honest. We can't be pretend. If we break our arm, we need to put it in a cast for a few weeks. We can't just act like it's not broken anymore. There's a process in all of life that, that healing happens. So once you've written that down, I'm just going to ask you to stand to your feet and take your card and put it in your hands. Ask Pastor Ed to come. How helpful these thoughts are to us. You know, um, the label, the, the name, the Satan, is really not what Lucifer's name is. It's really a title he holds. The Satan means literally the accuser. And one of the things that I love about this community, and I hope that we will all get, is that the very natural thing is for us to always feel accused. You get shocked, or somehow you, you start feeling yourself denying something, and you're, you feel bad. I'm an idiot. Why, you know? Or you get angry, and you, oh, what's wrong with me? I shouldn't be angry. You get you know, depressed, and you're going, oh, I'm I shouldn't be depressed. It's that constant accusation. And what you've heard this morning is the exact opposite of accusation. It's affirmation. And the encouragement to say, you know what? This may be happening, but what, how do I process this? I mean, it validates the human experience. The fact that when we come together as believers, we're not pretending to be something that we're not. In fact, that's a lot of what the problem is in Christianity, is people try to pretend to be what they're not. But it's embracing life and realizing that life sometimes just absolutely sucks, and life just sometimes absolutely is wonderful. And sometimes it's both at the same time and confusing. So this morning, as we embrace these thoughts that you have, the moments you have on this card, let's do exactly as Pastor Brett told us. Put our hands around them. And let's, first of all, with thanksgiving, be thankful for the human experience. And that as we walk through the process of of what these events mean to us, that instead of being accused and feeling horrible and you know having our heads tied down by the uh, by the by the Satan <laughs> and uh, feeling like we can't pick our heads up, let's trust that God will show us the next right step in whatever we're experiencing to help His kingdom come and His will be done. Amen. Father, we come to you and we bring all of these events that are written on these cards. And God, you know our hearts, you understand our hearts, you understand us more than we understand ourselves. And it's okay, it's safe to come. And it's okay and wonderful here this morning that it's okay when we just go through the processes of life that we do. 
We look back to the Psalms like uh, Pastor Brent told us and we see that potpourri of human emotions dancing around as, as those that have gone before us have processed the things that have gone, that happened in their lives in these very similar ways as we've heard described today. So we pray, Lord, not, not that we pretend everything's fine or that we try to pick our own selves up by our own bootstraps, but that we cast ourselves right into your arms and that we, into your hands, trusting that you are wrapping around our lives like our hands are wrapping around these papers and leading us. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to help us go through this stuff and do it well. Help us struggle well, not badly, but well. But help us not pretend there is no struggle because that's what life has in it. This is a human development mission, this business of faith. So develop us, we trust and we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and everybody said, Amen. Let's lift our voices.